turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. When it comes to your treasures, do you lay them up here on earth? Or are you looking forward to an eternity in heaven? If those are the treasures you're seeking to lay up, then we invite you to join us today as we continue our practical look at just exactly how we store up treasure in heaven. Welcome. This is Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands right here in San Bruno. We're continuing our journey through 1 Corinthians. Today, we are back in chapter 3 looking once again at these treasures we are to lay up in heaven, what they are, and how we do just that, lay them up in heaven. As we begin our time today, Pastor Layton reminds us that there is a reward system that God has placed in our lives simply because he's delighted in it. Here's Layton. Now, why does Jesus not having a, not have a problem with us being motivated by the reward? Well, for one thing, the reward system is his design. He's the one who created it. And for another thing, when we do what he tells us to do, motivated by the promise of future reward, then it is really an act of faith on our part. Because what we're doing, we're doing based on and saying, in effect, God keeps his promises and God will reward me for doing what he's asked me to do. So it's really an act of faith. Now, the Bible is very clear that there is a connection between our spiritual condition and how we perceive and use our money. And it's in many places. One of the places in Luke 3, 2, speaking of John the Baptist, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of of Zechariah, that would be John the Baptist, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked become straight, the rough places shall become level, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able to take from these stones and raise up children for Abraham. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. And every tree, therefore, that does not bring forth good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And when when the crowds heard the preaching of John the the Baptist, their hearts were pricked with with an urgency to get right with God. And so listen to the questions they ask and listen to the answers John gives. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? What can we do to get right with God? And John answered them, saying, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. So the crowd is saying, What do we need to do to get right with God? And John's answer is, Share your possessions. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. 
said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you're authorized to do. Again, he's focusing on the use of possessions and wealth. Soldiers asked him, And, and, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort, extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, but be content with your wages. So the people came to John. They were concerned about their spiritual well-being. And every answer that John the Baptist gave was in reference to how they perceive and use money and wealth. How a, money, how a person handles money and wealth is a, is a direct reflection upon their spiritual condition. You say, Pastor, that's one example. Is there others? There's m- many others. Another example is found in Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. He was short. And so he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they, the crowd around, saw it, they all grumbled. Jesus has gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, half of everything I own I now give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. I'll pay them back four times whatever I defrauded them. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. You see, Zacchaeus' radical change in his perspectives on money and use of money evidenced that his heart had been changed and his soul had been saved. And salvation should change our view of money and worldly wealth as well. Jesus connected our use of worldly wealth to who we serve. In Luke 16, he said, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you've not been, you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, that would be the worldly wealth, who will entrust you true riches? That would be the wealth of heaven. And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, we are living in an exceptional time of opportunity for people to choose their master, their God. Because the false facade of money has been removed. We're living in a a time of exceptional opportunity to store up treasures in heaven. Because we don't need to go to some far-off land to find people in need. We are surrounded in our community and in this church by people in need. A little time back, one of our single moms uh, had to leave, had to move out, and so there were several that found uh, her a place nearby, and some of our men went to help her move, and they found that there was not much to move because life uh, was very meager, uh, what she had. Uh, they didn't have a bed. All they had was an old mattress, and it laid on the floor because they didn't have money to buy a frame or box spring. And there were so many other needs, and, and the men that moved her just felt led of the Lord to use their own funds and go out and purchase beds and other necessities so that that single mom has a 
much nicer place to live as the result. Now, I don't want to tell you who they are because I wouldn't want to rob them of one iota of the reward that's waiting for them in heaven. But those folks that gave to somebody who could not repay were investing in heaven. There's a family that's in our church and in our school. They have their kids in our school, and the economic situation hit them, and they had to make a decision. Do they keep their home, or do they keep their children in Highlands Christian schools instead of putting them into the pagan temples called the public school system? They chose to lose their home so they could keep their kids in a Christian environment, in a Christian school. They've got their values right. They've made their investments well. This month, three of the men in church leadership have lost their jobs. And I am told almost every day about someone else in our church or related to our church that has lost their job. Now, what can we as a church family do? Well, I'll tell you, folks, we've got a, we've got a challenge here. Because the systems that we have in place, the guidelines that we have in place, were put in place 20 years ago. And they're not adequate to meet the needs of, that we're dealing with today. So we need, to, we need to figure things out. We need to figure out how we can become a better family and really help each other through these difficult times. Now, churches are targets for con men. Because con men come knowing that Christians want to give, and so they'll come up with some fancy story and relieve people of their money and go to the next church and do it again. So we need to be aware and be on guard against con men. But we have a lot of people that are part of this family that have legitimate needs. So how do we meet those needs? Well, we need to figure this out. We, I don't have the answer. I don't have the formula. But together, we can figure this out. Let me tell you what the best solution is, that we get to know each other in such a fashion that we, that we feel transparent with each other. And when we find out about a need or we have a need, that we will let others know what that is and somebody will be able to meet that need. And we won't do it through some leadership organization or some committee. It'll be friends, family, church family members responding to the needs that they become aware of because we're communicating and people are aware of what those needs are. But folks, we need to be pulling together as a church family during these difficult times. Now, when we gather together Sunday after Sunday, we look at God's Word. It's not just a mental exercise. We truly desire our lives to be affected by what God's Word says. And so I usually give some homework. Now, it's not homework that you hand in. It's not something that you're graded on. It's not something you have to do. You can choose to do it or you can choose not to do it. But I'd like to give you some homework this week. And the homework is this. I'd like you to spend this week trying to retrain your mind to think in terms of everything belonging to God. So when you get up in the morning or you, you wake up in the morning, you roll over in your bed, remind yourself it's not your bed. It's God's bed. And when you go get that cup of coffee, remind yourself that it's God's cup of coffee. 
You get in the car to go to work, remind yourself it's God's car and it's God's work. And all through the day, be thinking, intentionally reprogramming your mind to think in terms of everything being owned by God and we merely being stewards or servants of God. And if you can accomplish this, it is a major, major accomplishment. It will affect your you in so many ways, including your paradigms, because you won't perceive what you give so much anymore as a sacrifice as you will perceive it as an investment. And so it can have many, many dramatic uh, effects on how you perceive and, and interrelate with life. Well, that will close out our look at this message out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, simply called Laying Up Treasure very practical look at how to do just that and what it looks like day to day in our own lives. Well, next week, we'll take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and take a look at some of the rewards and the curses for laying up or not laying up. We trust you'll join us then. In the meantime, if you'd like to join us for worship Sunday, we'd invite you to spend time with us if you're not involved in a church. Directions and information can be found at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here Monday for another broadcast of Study Verse by Verse.